0: Hey team, I want you to meet Andrew Miller, Senior Product Manager on the Growth Team at Monograph. Andrew, what are three ways your team converts your market into revenue?
1: As a product manager, um, a lot of my work is situated sometimes a little bit upstream from GTM. Um, My teams tend to be made up of designers and engineers, and I do work closely with sales, marketing, and CX more on the GTM side. Um, And it's a huge part of of my job to ensure that we're, we're building the right things so that we can take those to market and convert them into revenue and part of that process i think for, to start um, do your research i think it's important to have confidence in what you're building and and feeling confident that you're building the right right thing um, and have a hypothesis that when you take this product or this feature to market you can convert it to revenue um, and when you're doing your research, you wanna have a balance of qualitative and quantitative data. Go talk to customers to get your qualitative, um, dig into your application database, data warehouse, industry stats and market figures to get your quantitative. For the second piece, um, I'll kind of split it up into two categories, B2B and B2C. So in a B2B context, I think one of the things that's super important is to deeply understand how your customers make money. Um, the better that myself and my team understands the business of our customers, the better we can make product decisions because we're, we're making those in the context of asking ourselves, what's gonna make our customers as successful as possible? And that that's, tends to be the best way to convert your product into revenue. On the B2C side, um, I'd say run lots of tests. Um, Make small changes in your product and messaging, observe the resulting behavior, um, note any impact on your revenue. And this is totally applicable to B2B as well. But I map it to B2C here because when you're dealing with consumers, you tend to have a much wider range of variability. And it can just be a little bit more difficult to keep a pulse on long term trends and, and patterns. So always be testing.
0: What's a hard problem that you recently overcame?
1: So one one hard problem um, that's very timely is aligning continuous delivery on the engineering side with go to go to market. Um, and so what I mean by that is con- continuous delivery, to put it simply, is is when engineers are able to continually deliver updates to the code base on production. Um, It's it's great on the engineering side because small incremental scopes of work that are continuously delivered to production um, results in fewer dependencies between engineering teams, uh, It results in less risk uh, with each deployment because they're small deployments, and allows engineering teams to move super fast, which is awesome. Um, However, on the go-to market side, this can actually create quite a bit of complexity. Because you have a go-to market team that's they're they're tr- really trying to figure out how do we talk about this product or this update and how do we frame our product in a way that the market's going to react positively to it. Meanwhile, the product is constantly changing, so it makes it a little bit difficult to kind of grab on to certain messaging points uh, for the GTM team. And so this is something that I'm working on, but really the entire product team at Monograph is working on right now, and and Pete and Dixon are leading the charge and. Um, at least on my team, one of the solutions that that we arrived at recently, um, quite simply, is feature flags. Um, it's it actually helped a lot because I was talking with Stephen, my engineering manager, and sort of explaining some of the dynamics there. And we, we aligned on using feature flags because that allows the engineering team to continually deliver to production without those updates actually being available to customers yet. And that gives the GTM team time to come up with the right messaging and create their own strategies to take it to market all at once. So they're not taking a feature that's constantly evolving to market.
0: What's a roadblock that you're working on right now?
1: So one roadblock that I'm working on is, um, I'm, I'm at a new company, I'm at Monograph. I've been here for just over three months. And um, I'm really trying to understand uh, user behavior. So, you know, um, your application database is going to have lots of information about the records that your users are creating and manipulating, um, which is really insightful. And we've been digging into that. But it won't typically tell you how your users went about uh, doing it it won't reveal their behavior in the product. And for this, you need event tracking. You need solid instrumentation throughout your product that can capture and reveal the story of their behavior. Um, And and setting that up is a a highly cross-functional effort um, in which product and engineering need to be super, super aligned. So um, we've got a really good team working on this right now. It's a hard project, but it's fun and I'm excited.
0: What are three mental models that you use to do your best work?
1: I love this question. Um, So I love mental models. Uh, I've got probably four books that are just filled with models, some mental models, some just other models. Um, Three that I I do tend to fall back on often in work. Uh, The first is the double diamond model. And um, I see this most commonly applied to product management, but I think it's a, it's a very wonderful sort of general model that can be applied to uh, many, many contexts. Um, and so in the double diamond model, you have two, t- two diamonds next to each other. And if you kind of just visualize that, if you go from left to right, the first diamond opens up and then it closes and then the next diamond opens up and then it closes. So what the model captures is uh, a sequence of divergent thinking followed by convergent thinking followed by divergent thinking again, followed by convergent thinking. And typically what I see is the first diamond is kind of focused on product discovery, product definition. So you're exploring different feature ideas. You're, you're um, exploring your, your diverging and then you converge on the right feature and then you hand it over to engineering and then they're figuring out how they want to build it. And then they're delivering. Um, I think, it works great for a go-to market as well. Um, just applying sort of divergent followed by convergent thinking in go to market. Uh, the second mental model is uh, the rugged landscape model, which is one of my favorites. So this one, if you, if you imagine you're, you're on kind of a vast landscape and there's peaks and valleys all around you of different heights and depths um, and your goal is to get up as high as possible. And so, One thing you could do is look around you as far as you can and find the highest peak and start walking to it and walk up that peak. And you might think when you get there, you won. Um, But really, what you found is your local maximum, which is different than the global maximum, which are two important terms in the rugged landscape model. So your local maximum is kind of the highest peak that you can see. Whereas your global maximum, if you zoom out all the way and look at the entire landscape that you can't see at once, there's probably some peak out there in the distance that's way higher than your local maximum. So how do you find it? Um, finding your local max is good, but really we want to get to the global max. And so one efficient way to go about finding a global maximum is to start in many different locations. and. And then in those different locations, you really are just searching for your local maximum, but from different starting points. And the way this maps into product is your different starting points are your kind of fundamentally different approaches to solving a problem. Um, And if you're taking something to market and you have three different theories for how you could take it to market, maybe those three different theories are your different starting points. And then from there, you can kind of iterate and A-B test your way to the to the local maximum, um, hoping that one of those is the is the global or is at least higher than the other two. Um, th- the third mo- mental model that I like a lot is just feedback loops in general. Um, love feedback loops. So that's when the output of a system is fed back into itself. And it can result in typically one of two scenarios. Either you have a positive feedback loop or a negative. Uh, positive is when the system amplifies itself. Uh, This tends to result in kind of wild, chaotic, unpredictable behavior. Uh, Positive feedback loops are really fun. It's high growth situations. Negative feedback loops are when the output feeds back into itself and it tends to stabilize the system. Um, It limits the system from from, uh, exponential growth. And these are nice because it results in a very stable and predictable system, which can be great if your goal is to be able to forecast revenue into the future, for example. But if your goal is to be able to grow as fast as possible, then you're looking more for a positive feedback loop. And and we see both of these uh, play out together, kind of layered on top of each other in all sorts of scenarios. Um, One uh, kind of easy example is is looking at the stock market. Um, So if there's kind of a buying frenzy taking place, you know, you might buy a stock, and that drives the price up just just a tiny bit, which sends a message out to anyone who's looking that the price is going up. Maybe that company is doing well, which causes other people to buy the stock, which drives the price up more. And this is creates a positive feedback loop, driving the price up really, really high. That, in turn, can be limited by a negative feedback loop. You might call it sort of the invisible hand of the market, where analysts or just uh, different different investors um, in the market uh, start to decide that, that a stock is overvalued and they'll start to sell it off. Um, that'll drive the price down, it'll kind of limit it. So it's just one interesting way that those two can play together.
0: What are three techniques that other GTM teams need to try?
1: I think, I think one technique is um, A-B testing. Um, everyone's familiar with A-B testing. Uh, we gotta do it, it's so important. I think the the one thing I would emphasize with A-B testing is I would would discourage us from A-B testing just to A-B test. Um, And I would encourage us to really kind of think through what are our hypotheses? um, How are each variation in an A-B test connected to a different hypothesis? And also what's kind of the underlying theory that's driving those hypotheses. So if you imagine it, as a hierarchy, you have kind of your theory at the bottom, which results in a few different hypotheses. And then at the top, you have all of these different variations of your A-B tests that are connected to the hypotheses. And, and some similar structure like that, that allows you to take your results and kind of connect them back down to hypotheses and theories, um, that's the sort of framework that allows us to really learn, I think, effectively as a team, um, instead of A-B testing and looking at the results and saying, well, I guess B1, so let's go with B. Uh, which doesn't always really get us to the next level of learning. Um, next technique that I think could be interesting uh, is uh, fake door tests. Um, I've done this in applications a few times, but I think it could be really relevant for GTM uh, as well. So if you have a product idea and you wanna get some kind of early signal on it, um, one thing you could do is is drop some buttons in your application or some CTAs in your in your messaging that suggest that the feature is there when it actually isn't. Um, and so you don't need to call too much attention to it, but what you wanna look for is, are customers clicking on the button? Are they clicking on the CTA? Are they asking about it in demos? Are they, um, are they inquiring and, and just interested in, in the possibility of that feature? And if they do click on it, there's a couple of things you could do. Um, you could take them to a form to sign up for a waiting list. Um, you could provide them some more information about uh, about the feature and ask for feedback. Kind of explain what you want to do with it, and then ask for input to get some more uh, qualitative information. And it's just a really cheap, quick way to do some some early testing and validation on your idea.
0: Who are three operators that should be our next guests, and why?
1: So, uh, first one I would call out is Mike Ivy. Um, Mike Ivey is one of the co-founders of Modern Message, uh, acquired by RealPage in 2020. And I joined Modern Message when there were about 10 people, and I worked there for five years. And Mike and I worked closely together for, for probably three of those five years, and just had a great time. He's a great product thinker, good leader, and his, his co-founder experience means that he's, he's well acquainted with not just product, but every aspect of a business, including go-to market. I think he'd have a lot to share. Uh, the second is Anthony Murphy. Um, super knowledgeable product leader and coach. Um, I've had lots of chats with Anthony about product and about process. And I know he'd have a lot to share on go-to-market. The third one is Matt Baxter. He's currently the director of product at Bestow, where I worked before Monograph. And he's just a great product leader. And um, he was taking a brand new business unit to market when I was on my way out. And it was a huge project, and it was just so much fun to watch Matt do his work. And I know you'd have tons of uh, interesting details to share about the go-to-market challenges that we faced.
0: Thanks, Andrew. See you tomorrow at work. Sweet. (laughs) Thanks, man. Hey, team. What did you think about this? I think you need to put Andrew Miller on your go-to-market radar. Andrew and I both work at Monograph. you got to come join our team. Guess what? We're hiring. Oh, by the way, have we met yet? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's chris at revenue.com. Talk to you in a moment.